What's up everybody, or should I say wits up in reference to today's guest, the genius that is Steph Hansen. Steph joins me all the way from Australia and like the true pro that she is, we recorded at 5.30 a.m. her time. Steph, please don't ask for a reciprocal early wake up time from me. As you'll hear, Steph is a pioneer in the triathlon media. After identifying a need, she created Wits Up, a media platform and company dedicated to covering women's triathlon. She has grown an incredible community around the brand and is a trusted resource for athletes, brands, and events to collaborate with. What you may not know is sometimes the work is difficult. The energetic responsibility it takes to show up and create every single day is challenging and Steph opens up and we connect on the hard parts of our work. But as we discuss, everything is a choice and I feel very fortunate to be able to create and share the stories of incredible humans that make up the endurance sports world. As a favor to me, I'd love for you to reach out to Steph. If you find value in her work, let her know. It can be a lonely road sometimes, so give her a thumbs up if you're a fan. Thanks for listening and please enjoy the latest episode of the I'm Curious to Know Project as a part of the Inner Voice podcast. It's day 16 of the I'm Curious to Know Project uh, presented by Inner Voice. I'm very glad to bring Steph Hansen to the show today. I owe her a lifetime of debt here because it is (laughs) 5.30 in the morning in Australia. So you've seen into the future. Tell us all about what the future's like. Everything's back to normal. Um, people are hugging and kissing strangers, and it's a beautiful place. <laughs> I don't know what your normal was before when you're kissing strangers, but I'll take it. <laughs> Steph, you obviously, you and I, we're both from Australia. We had yet to meet in person. We've had a conversation over the phone. I've been a big fan of your work for a while now, um, and I'm really interested to hear, firstly, the name. Where did the name come from? What's up? <laughs> and then secondly, what was the impetus behind you starting wits up and give us a little bit of context around uh around the platform that you have as well your lifetime of debt can be paid in coffee uh that helps a lot so just keep that in mind for when we actually catch up in person wits up oh where do i even start i'll get to the name later because it won't make sense until i tell the story i don't think like anyone else who's involved in triathlon and probably endurance sport once you get involved in it you tend to fall head over heels in love and that was me stereotype did one triathlon thought I was going to go pro you know I just absolutely loved everything about it the more the more I sort of got involved the more things I started to do so I was a personal trainer at the time so I wanted to learn how to be a coach this is over a few years Um, so I wanted to join those sort of two passions together. Then I started commentating at our local triathlon series, uh, and learned very quickly that people don't like speaking on a microphone because, you know, I thought I'd have a, you know, a list of people I'd have to stand behind to get the job, but they pretty much just handed the microphone to me on the spot. And then I started writing for a magazine. And it started off as personal training articles and that developed into race reports and interviews. And I started interviewing these incredible athletes, most of whom who I was interviewing were women. And I remember interviewing Caroline Stephan, who's, you know, one of the best athletes at the sports scene and who I just always found a really interesting character because she was this really stoic you know, her nickname's Xena, Warrior Princess. I mean, if that doesn't sum up the kind of athlete she came across as, I don't know what, what would. And But just talking to her and finding out more about her, I was like, wow, this person's incredible and I love her story. And 
I noticed that when I did that article, she didn't feature on the cover of the magazine. She was the feature article. She was the main event. And I just couldn't understand why she wasn't on the cover. So I just innocently asked uh, the editor why she wasn't. And his response was, oh, women don't sell magazines. It was really interesting because it wasn't coming from, it wasn't a loaded question. It was just such an innocent question. And I mean, you've got kids. I've, you know, I've got one kid who's not actually talking really yet, but I've hung out with a lot of kids and I love their curiosity and their, their innocence. And that's how I felt that question came across as a kid. Like I don't, I actually just don't understand. That doesn't seem like a good enough answer to me. And pretty quickly I realized that I wasn't going to change his mind. Um, he was pretty set in stone. And I remember going to a barbecue at my friend's house a couple of days later and I said, what do you think about this idea? And the platform wits up, um, which is all about giving a platform to women in triathlon, the idea was born and I pitched the ideas to my mates. They're like, that's what you've been working on for the past five years. Without knowing it, that's what you were meant to do. I just learned how to do it and did it. Well, you've done an, an amazing job. I think that I, it's safe to say that you provide the best women's triathlon coverage in the world. I don't know a platform or an, an, uh, an outlet that does it as well as you. What was your immediate reaction when he said that to you? Did you have to kind of take a moment to reconcile that thought or were you able to to have that conversation with him there on the spot? I, I definitely, I, t- I took a step back. I think because I wasn't going into the discussion with any preconceived notions, it was just such an innocent off the hand uh, question that I, that I think that's why I was just so blown away. I was flabbergasted. And then I think that just opened my eyes up to a lot of things that I just didn't really know existed. It's weird because people who I grew up with always think it's quite amusing that I, you know, host a platform for women in sport and I'm all about, you know, equality. Just because I personally, I never really felt like I was in equal when I was, you know, growing up. I grew up with two brothers. I played sport with all the boys, all of my friends, my close friends were, were guys. So I never, ever felt like that. Once Wits Up started to grow, I just realized that I wanted people to feel like I did because I never felt like boys or men were my superior or I couldn't run as fast as the boy next to me or I couldn't play cricket with the boys at lunch. Like I just never felt like that. Yeah. And that's when I realized that that existed out there. Um, And it took a long time to realize. Yeah, but I just kind of figured that it's important for everyone else to feel like like I do. And I really recognize that not everyone does. Growing up in Australia, it was the same. You know, I had an older sister and we, you know, we we did everything as a family and it didn't feel like as a kid, there was that inequality. Mm. But perhaps it becomes more prevalent um, as we get older, you know, and I think about, you know, my last real adult job was at Lululemon. We produced a half marathon that had um, 80% women in the race, 20%. Mm. So there's these examples where that inequality doesn't exist. To your point, perhaps as we get to the elite end of the sport, you know, thinking about triathlon, there's not equal numbers that go and compete in Kona. The, they don't get the magazine covers because they don't sell magazines. The coverage of Ironman events and other events is very heavily weighted to males so perhaps it is you know we for some reason we we grow into this inequality but i think that's why it's still important to be 
educating kids because it's clearly it's culture. So, and that sort of, you know, when, when kids are growing up, they're growing up as part of that culture. Um, so it's important to be educating them at still as well as adults, I guess. The older I get, the more I do realise that there are those inequalities. And even in the space that I work in, some days I, and I've had messages from people when they've seen me say at a finishing line of an event, and they're like, you're pretty much the only female, you know, taking photos. I think that's because I did grow up with two brothers and I worked at a bar when I was 18 and I can hold my own. But, you know, not everyone should have to feel like they have to hold their own. I think that's the hardest part. I think you're perfectly suited and perfectly made to be doing this because of your upbringing. (laughs) You know, have you experienced along the way, you know, someone stepping in front of you when you're trying to get the shot, like those kind of glares that you get? Tell me about some of those that maybe you've kind of had to overcome since starting Witzer. I mean, one of just the really, it's just a really boring one was someone at the end of a finishing line. So what happens is because everyone goes to the finishing line for the men, because, you know, over the iron distance, they they finish roughly an hour before the women. And my biggest thing is every single media outlet is at the finishing line and no one's covering the last hour of the race, which is arguably, you know, one of the most exciting parts of the race. Um, that's when we see the most changes, you know, everyone, you know, starting to do the death march in the marathon. So, you know, things are starting to happen. But if every media outlet is at the finishing line, no one no one knows what's going on with the women. So I do, I just do not go to the men's finish. Um, I don't cover the men. There's no need for me to be there. But it means that while I'm running around still getting those last sort of 45 minutes worth of the women's race and I get to the finishing line, where do I go? Like, because everyone's just there waiting. You know, there was a time when someone had saved their spot, but I'd come in, had asked around because I don't like, you know, I'm not a bully or anything. And they said, oh, we don't know where they've gone. They've been gone for 30 minutes. So I was like, well, clearly they're not, you know, they're not here. And he came back and he just abused me for being in his spot. And I was like, mate, I'm here for the women. Why don't we see if we can work something out? Like instead of just coming in and being aggressive, you know, and the old me, and I mean maybe six, seven, eight years ago would have just moved. And I was like, no, you don't deserve to be here any more than what I do. You know, so that's just a boring whatever. But the one that I've noticed in the last couple of years is, you know, I'm vocal about things that I'm passionate about. You know, I'm I'm not great at confrontation. Uh, I don't like it. I don't, I struggle with people not liking me. So if I've caused any upset, like there's still a, there's that pang in my heart that, you know, that I may have upset somebody, but if it's something that I'm truly passionate about, then I'm a bullet gay and you, you won't stop me. But I feel like sometimes you kind of get this reputation, oh, Steph, you know, runs a women's website, so she's going to be complaining about this and complaining about that. Someone said to me once, just go back outside and enjoy the sunshine. This is on race day. And I'm like, I'm asking you just a legit question and you clearly have a problem with me. Let's talk it out. And I just said to him, would you would you say that to one of the other guys? Would you say that to one of the guys who came in here and asked you a question or oh, what do you mean? And I just kept prodding him and he's like, just go outside and enjoy the sunshine, you know? And I'm like, you condescending. It just, so it's things like that, that I notice they really get under my skin. I actually let them affect me way too much. That kind of stuff really frustrates me. And like I said before, it's a cultural thing that needs to change. 
what you're doing is important and what you're doing is necessary. I don't think we ever got to the, the story of where the name came from. It's, I laugh because it's a bit embarrassing. You know, back when I launched, I was like, oh, I'll just call it wit.com, women in triathlon, not knowing that any three letter website is taken. Like I didn't know that people buy domains and then try and sell it back to people. You know, (laughs) I didn't know that existed. The name I found probably the hardest of this entire thing. I was going like through Greek goddess names and, you know, just trying to come up with this. And I just, I really battled. And then somehow wits up popped into my head. Women in triathlon sup as in what's going on? Because it's so dumb. (laughs) It sums me up really well. I'm really serious about what I do, but I don't take myself too seriously. And I think that's what I just keep coming back to with that name. But then I was also like, well, where did Nike come from? Like, that's just a random name. I can have a random name. So I justified it. Well, Wits Up works. So you actually told me a really interesting story about how you launched and you, you know, you come to share the idea with your friends. They're all behind it. They're all for it. They're pushing you in that direction. And then... Ironman Melbourne comes around uh, and you're ready to launch. Tell me, tell me that story. I just, I always had this thing. We actually ran a focus group at the same place that we launched as well um, at my, in my friend's lounge room. She's got a big lounge room. I learned a lot from it. One of my friends um, ran it. Thank God, because I would not have done the focus group justice. She just knew the right um, questions to ask. And anyway, from the end of all that, I realized that this platform was going to be a lot more than just giving professional women a platform. Um, It was a lot about breaking down barriers, getting more women involved in not only the sport, but the lifestyle that we, that we love. Uh, So learned a lot about that. And that's when I realized that Wits Up had to be more than just an online community. I really wanted to have that real life element so that when people at races, they would come up and say hi and feel comfortable talking to me and then meeting other people. And yeah, I just really thought that was important, particularly for women. So when we launched, the woman, her name is Sarah DeWolf and she's amazing. And I've hosted so many things, including my child's first birthday at her house. So I'm in Melbourne's on the Sunday, then you've got the after party on the Monday and then Tuesday we launched and I invited, there was about a hundred people that my husband catered for by himself. He's a chef, so he has some experience. It was like a big bunch of my friends within the sport, out of the sport, but then also, you know, some of the movers and shakers within the sport as well, uh, including some of the athletes who are at Ironman Melbourne. And yeah, we just, we made it this big party and, you know, even had a countdown to hit go. Um, We launched our ambassador program, which was just all about showcasing an age group triathlete and giving them this incredible 12 month opportunity with some of the brands who I have been working with for years, including Giant and well, Live now is like the sister company to Giant. Like that was worth about $18,000 or something um, with the thought process of they could be a great ambassador to get more women involved. But I think the highlight of that was I had said to Caroline Stefan and I'd known her through doing a few interviews with her, but I didn't know her really well. And I just said, Oh, look, we're launching this platform. If there's any chance, she had just smashed, smashed the Ironman uh, Melbourne uh, race. I think, At that time, she ended up with like the third fastest Ironman time ever uh, behind Chrissy Wellington twice. So, you know, she was top of the world. And I said, oh, look, if you 
if you can, it'd be amazing. Totally get it short notice. And she's like, oh, I've got a photo shoot, but I'll let you know. And then she just rocked up and I was just, I don't know. It was, it was just a big moment for me in that I, I was, I felt really legit because I wasn't super close with her, but she respected me enough to make an appearance. And then I was like, oh, can you come up on stage? And I'll ask you a few questions. The stage was just in front of the fireplace. She got up, but when she got up to come and have a chat, everyone made this arch and she sort of ran under it and everyone was cheering. And I was just like, oh my God, this is, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it was just, it was the coolest, coolest night ever. It was, it was unbelievable. It's really hard in triathlon. It's a tight knit community, amateurs, elites alike. And when you're providing coverage, you're covering races, you're sharing stories, you're telling stories. How do you kind of reconcile being friends with the athletes <laughs> and wanting them to do well and cheering them on with telling the stories that need to be told within the sport? Oh, this is such a hard question because I ask myself all the time. And I think I keep changing as well, not changing, but I guess moving the goalposts a little bit. But I guess my underlining thing is we're not about sensationalism. We're not about that. I'm all about, like I said from the start, uh, providing a platform for these incredible women. And over time, that takes building up a lot of trust with them, which I think is why I can get stories out of them because they do, not that that sounds like I'm trying to get stories out of them all the time, but a lot of, a lot of the stories that come out are through just uh, one-on-one chats where they do feel completely comfortable to, to tell me, you know, the inner workings of behind the scenes and stuff, um, which could potentially turn into a story, but it could not as well. But they trust me enough to tell me those stories knowing that I'm not going to use them to, you know, get a, a few more likes on our uh, Facebook page or whatever. In saying that, it's it's really hard because sometimes there are stories out there that need to kind of be told um, but could potentially be a little bit detrimental um, and I think it's a case by case. But I guess I just keep going back to why I started this and Again, it was to give it a platform, but also it's mine. I can do whatever I want with it. I don't have to be like a traditional newspaper. You know, I don't have to. I can do whatever I want with it. Um, and I choose to look at it more as a way that I'm helping. So the amount of times I've said I'm not here to throw you under the bus to people because they, you know, those who I don't know as well um, struggle to open up a little bit. And I get it, totally understand it. And over time, I know they will. But also the amount of times I've said to athletes, look, we're doing a live uh, interview. Maybe you need to be wearing your sponsor's gear or, you know, so I see it as a way that I can help educate, just not because I'm an expert, because I've learnt so much from so many different facets of the sport. Um, And that could be, you know, even an up-and-coming pro. I can, you know, help sort of guide them throughout the media landscape. So that's the way I look at it I hate it when people say though who's my favorite athlete because there's the favorite athlete there's the favorite not I don't have favorites I have favorites plural I don't have a favorite (laughs) um but yeah it's hard because I have become so close with with some of these women I like the way you put it like we don't necessarily have a journalistic responsibility to find the truth you know we're not telling stories about politicians we're not telling story about corruption within big corporations so 
we don't have to abide by these journalistic rules. We can tell mm. the stories that are interesting to us that we feel are relevant to the communities that we that we serve. What has been that most impactful story you feel like you've shared? I mean, the one that comes to mind, and it's it's probably because I've spoken about it a little bit in this past week because we just released um, a, like a mini podcast series with Helen Murray from the Inside Try Show, which was about uh, the healthy body, which takes a look at eating disorders, disordered eating um, and, and body image. So I guess that's just at the forefront of my mind. And maybe I'll have a bit more of a think about some other stories and I'll, I'll butt in later. But this particular one was with Jodie Kanama. It was, she was Jodie Swallow at the time. Um, and we were in, it was Dubai or Bahrain. I can't, I can't remember which one. But I'd reached out and I'd said, oh, I'm doing these little series. And this is before I knew anything about camera equipment. And I I think I recorded it on my iPhone. I kind of remember. Like the audio was terrible. But we sat on this couch and we had a chat and it just quickly came up about her body image issues and disordered eating issues uh, throughout her career. And I just sat there not, not so much flabbergasted by the story but flabbergasted that she trusted me with her story and that I think that was really the point where I was I knew that that's what I could do with athletes sorry that they could be vulnerable with me that they could trust me with their stories and so yeah that's that was a big turning point what was that recognition in yourself you know for me I I can imagine myself sitting in your seat and I've been in that in many instances where someone sharing something with me my thought is okay I have a responsibility here and I become hyper aware of everything around me and I'm listening and I'm intently focused and I'm trying to gather everything and I'm trying to stay curious and be in the conversation I know exactly what you mean it's um it's almost like they're on speaker in your mind and there's all these other things going on but it's uh it's all a bit blurred and and muffled because you're just honing in uh, but then I start to think, you know, where's my next question? Actually, I don't think about when, you know, my next question. I get to the point where I'm about to ask a question and then think back then I would think, oh, am I going too far? Should I be asking this? But now, because that was, I don't know, six, seven years ago, I don't have that so much anymore because I've got more confidence in myself and in the relationship with the athlete um, that I can ask those questions and they feel comfortable talking to me about it and the most recent one I can tell you about is a chat with Jodie Stimson who unfortunately her dad passed away at the start of this year and she posts a lot about her dad um, you know over the years and she posted a lot since he passed away and so it was clearly I mean it was horrible for for anyone obviously who loses their dad but their relationship was very obvious that they were tight and we were doing a pod. I'd reached out to her before her dad had passed away. We were going to do a podcast and it just never came about timing wise. And then I didn't, I just didn't want to reach out to her again, but eventually she contacted us and I was feeling a bit, you know, part of our podcast is finding out who you are, who the people are in your life. And I'm, I, I knew it was going to come up. I, I guess I just, I talked to her as a friend. It just came out naturally and she was, happy to discuss it with me um there were tears but she was comfortable with that so while I knew that it was going to get a bit hard and emotional I felt quite confident 
that we could portray that story, that she would feel completely comfortable um, at it and at ease with me in telling probably one of the toughest stories that she has to tell. But yeah. we spoke about it afterwards and she said it was cathartic and she felt really good and we laughed at the end and she she felt like it was a really good opportunity to tell everyone who her dad was. So, yeah, I felt I felt really good about it. I felt drained after after that conversation, but I felt so good about it because I think we we did it well. You talked about draining. Uh, I want to ask you this because, you know, sitting on the other side of the microphone, both sides really isn't, isn't <laughs> always the easiest thing. What's I feel an energetic responsibility every time I show up, any time I'm on any type of, you know, myself interviewing or, or an interviewee. Tell me about that, like your energetic responsibility to take a deep breath before it starts and be present and be curious. And then you walk away and you just absolutely pooped. I think years ago, though, I would never have recognized it uh, because I would ignore those feelings um, to the point that a few years ago, I actually got quite sick. I ended up with adrenal fatigue and chronic fatigue. And I think a lot of that was because I am this energizer buzzy bunny that just goes at a hundred miles an hour all day, every day. And it finally caught up with me. So now I'm past that. I recognize those roller coasters a lot better. I still struggle though, because I can't be up all the time, especially with a kid now as well. Like you just can't be you know, firing on all cylinders the whole time. But I still have this thing where I'm like, yeah, but that's how people know me. That's what I, you know, that's the persona I have to give. So I battle with those sort of thoughts every now and then. But in saying that, once I'm talking to someone about what we love, it just kicks in naturally, I think. Um, But I certainly feel it afterwards that, that I'm done, I'm cooked and I don't want, I can't talk to anyone more. And I was just saying the other day, I couldn't figure out what to have for lunch because I'd had, you know, a podcast session that morning and I was like, I just, I got, I can't make any more decisions. I'm done. Tell me about what you've done to maybe refill your cup. I'm not very good at it. I'm still learning, particularly at the moment. I'm finding it really hard to be completely honest with you um, because I just can't help but think I need to take advantage of the time that we've got when we're stuck in, so Brett's at home full time at the moment, so he can have Frankie while I can work. So I need to make the most of it and I need to do this. And uh, because in two weeks he might be going back to work and I won't have that time available anymore. And so I, that's the old Steph creeping back in again. And I, and I recognize that, but I haven't been great at taking actions to, to fill up my own cup, to be honest with you. And it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a constant, learning process isn't it um I think it's a big step that I can recognize it so I'm just I I don't know I'm trying to do the basic things like make sure I exercise um because you know years ago that would be my priority and at the moment it just isn't but I know how important it is for my mental and physical health but I struggle with the motivation to get outdoors which is not who I've been you know I'm 39 and for 37 years of my life you couldn't stop me from running out the door to to play sport or to exercise um but now I'm different and so I'm trying to figure out who I am and because it is a big part of me but it's it's a different god I'm just stumbling over my words now because I haven't really thought about it too much I can see that you're emotional about it (laughs) because it's hard 
and I didn't want this to go this way where we're just bitching back <laughs> about how hard our amazing jobs are and our careers yeah. are because we have so there's so many good things here. But it is so difficult to give so much of ourselves. And every time, for me, this is my feeling, and I, I'm assuming you feel the same, and correct me if I'm wrong. Every time you press publish, every time oh. you put a podcast out, every time there's an interview, you're giving something of yourself out into the world. Um, and not a lot of time you get that back. Like you don't mm. always get as much back as you give out. Um, and I think it's a real, it's a challenge. And I totally feel the same way as you do. It's like the things that are meaningful to us, the running, the exercise, getting on your bike, like is 12th on my list now. And I, it feels horrible to admit it on my side. You know, I've dedicated nearly 10 years of my life to, to trying to do this. I'm not driven by money. I just, it's not a factor for me it probably should be a little bit more especially with raising a small human I need to maybe make that a priority but this whole thing has been run on passion and drive and that that takes a lot of giving yourself out there yeah sometimes when you don't get it back or there's a negative comment that chips away not that we get a whole bunch of negative comments I think it's more if you know someone isn't receptive to what we're doing it just it feels like oh it's another yeah. Another time that I have to work harder that, you know, I don't have that energy or, you know, the first probably six years of doing this, it obviously did affect me, but I just didn't let it I because I avoided it and just kept going, but then ended up in a massive hole because of it. Yeah. Um, so now it's just trying to, and people throw around the word balance, which, and I get it, but I just, I don't think there is a actual balance. I like to look at it as a juggle because you're just constantly changing like your priorities and um whether it be in the workspace personal health but i mean health should really be number one because without that nothing else works but it's so it's so hard to switch out of that got to get this done and yeah anyone who has a business or anyone who is is passionate about what they do probably feels like this you know they can't let the thought go and i think it's important discussions to have because particularly in our kind of sport or our kind of work in in these sports is you can feel really lonely even though you're talking to some of the most incredible people on the planet they don't and the audience don't see you working at midnight or doing that chat but then spending an hour editing and you know or they don't see all that kind of stuff um so it looks like you're living the dream but there's there's a lot of what goes on behind the scenes and that's that's okay that's that's certainly not a complaint but I think that 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 can get quite lonely I was having a discussion with someone else in the triathlon media the other day and we were both sort of saying you you do feel alone um particularly because it's spread out across the globe um but someone on the other side of the world is potentially just doing the same thing as you're doing thinking the same things that you're thinking and well I've noticed that and this comes from the top down, um, we hold on to our own things instead of sharing and talking to other media outlets and, you know, and I think that's why you and I want to connect a lot more because there's ways that we can work together potentially and, yeah, because it's it's hard by yourself. Final question on that, and, you know, I want to, I want this to be positive. I think that you've done an incredible job. Um, you're, you've provided an incredible outlet. You're an incredible voice for women in triathlon and I know that people love what you do. If that's any of any value, uh, Kate, a little message here. She talked about the Jodie Stimson podcast, um, one of the best interviews that she's seen. People generally 
don't let you know how much it's impacted them. You know, you put something yeah. out in the world, you know, it's good work, you know, it's going to resonate with people. Um, and then it's crickets and you're like, like, I know my mom listened, like, but is yeah. anyone else listening? <laughs> but so I think like for anyone out there, if, if you do find value in any of the work that Steph does or the work that I do or any other outlet or someone who's creative and they've put a work out into the world that you've enjoyed, like, tell us, tell us, let us know like mm. good, bad and ugly, because the feedback is the thing that drives me. Just share it. Just give us a thumbs up and say, good job. Or bad job. Totally. And when people um, send me a private message um, and I respond, they're a little bit taken aback that I've responded, but yeah. I'm like, no, 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 you've given me life today. Thank you. Just that that message is incredible. And it's something that I try and do all the time. It's something I learned from my granddad who, like, he's just the sweetest, sweetest man and he would – I remember just going to cafes and he would go up to the waitress or the waiter and, you know, take them by the hand and say, thank you so much. You were fantastic today. It was a pleasure to meet you. And I just, I remember watching him doing that thinking, thinking he's a little bit loopy, but also just thinking, oh, they walked away with a smile. That's so nice. Like he's made their day. And I just, I think that is just so important. I've got three questions I want to throw you away. Um, okay. one, and I've asked these uh, pretty much every day. So get limber, get ready. Number one, what's one thing that's changed uh, during this isolation period that you would like to keep once we move on to whatever our next phase of life is? Uh, the extra thoughtfulness. Um, so, for example, it was my birthday during isolation, one of my good mates' birthdays during isolation. It wasn't about buying big presents or anything. It was about really honing in on what was important. It's celebrating birthdays because of the important things, not, you know, not the big flamboyant things. And I think that's something that we can all work on. What did you do for him? I made this, so she's got two kids um, and prior to isolation, her husband had a knee reco and an ankle reco. So she was pretty much in isolation for about four weeks before we were put into isolation. So she was just going a little bit stir crazy. So I said, right, we're going for a walk um, at a socially acceptable distance. And I made some gin and tonics in some nice glass bottles and then I got a massive sign and it's in the car. Otherwise, I would have shown you. And it just said, honk, it's her birthday. And I, we just walked around the street and I held the sign up and people honked for her. And we just walked around the streets with people like yelling out the window, which made their day as well, I, I assume. Yeah, and then I organised a surprise visit in someone's driveway where we had sangria as well. I mean, alcohol is important, right? It sounds like creative ways to drink. Second question, uh, what's one thing you thought was important before isolation that you're happy to leave in the past? For me, being hung up on a couple of things, uh, I don't want to say with who, but I've just kind of, they really used to upset me, but now I've just kind of seen this as a bit of a restart and, yeah, hoping that those kind of things can be, those relationships can be mended a little bit or not even mended, just, not just not an issue it just whatever move on number three what's been the most memorable moment of joy you've had during isolation my birthday was actually pretty good but I think the best one was and we got some really cool photos of it our mates who live just a few k up the road they drove past with their kids this is the one it was her birthday this is the same family 
and they banged on our window. We, we live on quite a busy street. Um, and we've got this big window that I always have open up. So Frankie can see the trams coming past and they were banging on the window and Frankie went crazy trying to figure out how to get to them. So we lifted her up on the windowsill and she's like kissing the window and kissing the kids through the window. And, um, it was just, and the photos are so good. I'll, I'll actually print those photos out because, you know, who prints photos these days have to make sure I print them out. Um, but I'll just never forget that. She was like running backwards and forwards in the room, trying to figure out how to get to them. And it was just, I, oh, I loved it. It was so cool. You're awesome. I really appreciate you getting up at the ass crack of dawn to come and <laughs> chat with me. Uh, it's, it's really special that you did that. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm here for you and let's collaborate. Let's find a way to share more stories and support each other and grow and, um, yeah, for anyone out there who loves Steph's work, I know there's a lot of you. Give her a thumbs up. Thanks, Trav. Thank you so much for having me. I looked at the list of uh, other people in your May editions and uh, some pretty impressive people. So I'm really quite honoured. Thanks, Steph. I appreciate your sincerity and for opening up. Following your passion is not an easy road. I appreciate you all being here. And in the spirit of the conversation, I'd love to hear from you. Are you enjoying the show? If so, it would be great if you could leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. It will really help the show grow and it will also allow other like-minded listeners to find the show as well. I appreciate you being here and thanks for listening. I'm Travis McKenzie and this is the Inner Voice Podcast.